Welcome to another episode of Meta Athletes the Playbook. We're bringing our coaches, resource, coaches, insights, and resources directly to the community. And uh, we're not always perfect, Pete, so we'll keep it in. We'll, we'll keep that intro going. Uh, <laughs> I'm pumped because who we're introducing today and who we're bringing to the conversation today, um, somebody who has been kind of an indirect and a direct mentor for myself. And I, I kind of feel that way about, you know, a lot of people that we get uh, interested in and kind of intertwined into the Meta Athletes community. Um, and, and Kevin, we're really excited to bring you on. So we have Kevin Neal from uh, the Boston Bruins, uh, head of performance, director of performance at the Boston Bruins. I know you've worked with a handful of uh, other teams as well. And I think that um, one of the main reasons we want to bring you on, Kev, is you have a ton to teach us. And we kind of gather that, you know, if, if we follow you on social and uh, we'll make sure to have your links and your and your social profiles posted in, in show notes, because, um, you know, a lot of stuff that we talk about is for parents, is for um, foundational, you know, education for how we should be eating, how we should be moving, how we should be kind of mentally thinking about developing game plans and, and playbooks. And um, just from following you, you know, even if we never had a conversation, just from following you, uh, there's a ton of insights I get from you. And, and you're also a great, uh, I would say you direct, you direct a lot of content my way from, from other people that I tend to follow as well. So um, you've been an incredible mentor for me, even if, if, you, if you didn't know so. But uh, I met you through B, I met you through the, the Meta Athletes community. And um, I wanted to I wanted to bring you on because, you know, not only do I feel like you have a lot to offer, you know, from, from what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, but you kind of like fit our narrative of, of meta athletes and, and this narrative of um, bringing these insights that people, you know, typically think are um, directed or only available at the highest levels. Um, yet you and B, you know, you guys do a ton to, to make this available and, and to make it either low cost or free to a lot of people. And I know that you and B have also worked on literature for, uh, you know, the hockey world, the performance world. Um, so ton to share. We, we hope to bring some of that out, but, uh, to be honest, Kevin, I hope to learn a little bit more about you today and, and some of your background, why you are the way that you are, what kind of drove you to, uh, to your career path. And, um, I want to bring you into the show and maybe you can, you can kind of chime in a little bit. I know you were recently at a, uh, it seemed like a, an NHL, uh, seminar or an opportunity for for thought leaders to come in and share data, share knowledge, share uh, past experiences. Um, so how was that? I think that that was uh, last week, right? Yeah. Uh, first off, I I want to say thanks for having me. I've uh, benefited personally from listening to a lot of the past episodes of this podcast. I love what uh, what you and B have been doing with it. You know, I think I've I've had the distinct pleasure of knowing B now for over a decade. And, um, you know, I've, I've personally benefited, I think, from his message and his mentality. And um, I think it's great that you guys are are sharing that with the Meta Athletes community, obviously, and then with everybody else that has the opportunity to to listen to these. So um, honored to be on. I the Every year, uh, the NHL kind of hosts a centralized meeting with all the athletic trainers, all the equipment managers, all the strength and conditioning coaches, um, there are representatives from those different positions, from um, major junior programs, from collegiate programs, from youth programs, even as well. Um, and there's kind of a, you know, a few purposes for that. There's a continuing education track, you know, obviously all those groups split up. Traditionally, we've done some stuff with the athletic trainers as well. So you can get all of us in one room and, and listen to speakers that kind of are speaking to both worlds. Um, there's a huge vendor show too. That's a part of that event, which is cool. You know, you get an opportunity to speak with some people that, you know, maybe have products that other teams around the league are using that you maybe haven't been exposed to yet. And, 
um, do a little bit of, of uh, entry-level homework before you take a, a deep dive there. And then, um, you know, I think the there's some league updates too and some meetings with the NHL directly that each of our groups go through while we're there. So um, for me, it's a... Uh, it's a highlight of my uh, annual cycle every year. It's uh, we're fortunate to bring in really great speakers every year. Um, so, you know, it's, it's nice to just be able to sit in the back and take a ton of notes and uh, learn from the perspectives of other people. And then even just to connect with colleagues from around the league, you know, we try to touch base a lot of times on game nights, but obviously everybody's busy, um, you know, getting prepared for the game. So you don't get as much time to, you know, t- talk shop or even just, you know, a lot of the people I'm, we've developed pretty good relationships with. So to just touch base and see how their families are doing and, and connect on uh more of a personal level. So it's, it's uh, it was good. Yeah. It seems like an incredible, you know, time after the season for people to come together. And uh, like you said, build the, the IRL relationship factor, but also um, you know, it, it seemed like there's some people there that I think you were kind of sharing content around that were also presenting there and end up following like a handful of people. Is there one thing, you know, typically we go to these conferences, we go to these seminars and uh, usually maybe there's like one big thing where you're just like, Hmm, I didn't really expect to, to learn this. Anything pop up for you this time? Uh, no, you know, I don't think there was, there was one big thing. I think the, you know, we had a great uh, Amy Bender came out and spoke to our group on, on some sleep and sleep habits and sleep tips and, you know, I, I think it's it's that's an area where we're continuing to uh, acknowledge and re-acknowledge the massive impact that sleep and sleep quality can have on on health and performance. And our you know the the reality of our work environment is that the game schedule and travel schedule creates some real occupational hazards for huh. sleep quality for the staff and and the players alike. So. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's just good to continue to hear some of those messages and keep those top of mind. Um, we had another speaker too that uh, was talking a little bit more on some of the benefits of of barefoot training and exposure, and uh, you know, removing some of the uh, negative consequences of of footwear. Um, you know, I think that was another good reminder for me, it kind of came at a good time where that has not been something that we've been spending a lot of time thinking about. So, um, Tim, my assistant and I was a, a former, uh, intern of bees as well. Uh, you know, it was a good, it sparked some good conversations between us. So, um, and then there was everybody there, you know, like I said, I think I have six pages of notes and a word document somewhere. So, um, I, I really, enjoyed and learned a lot from all the speakers, but I think those are two topics that kind of stuck out to me as, as uh, things that are worth thinking about. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it really is incredible. I mean, those are some of the things I think the fan base really don't, you know, take into consideration is just the hectic travel schedule and, and what that looks like in terms of maintaining, you know, state of mind recovery I mean, B constantly talks about sleep and recovery as, as one of the priorities, you know, most people probably lack on, um, but from, you know, the standpoint of a, a pro athlete and various leagues where you're just constantly, and that's why I love that content that you shared in your Instagram is because it talks specifically about hotel rooms and uh, you know, there's just little simple things to, to help optimize that people probably don't think about. The, uh, the training barefoot one, you know, there's a lot more than, than I think we know. Cause I, uh, I think it was last week, you know, maybe it was a tail end of two weeks ago. I was training, working out barefoot 
and had this shard of glass in my foot for like a oh, week. Oh no! <laughs> and I know that that's not what you're talking about, Kev, but uh, that was definitely the- that was definitely one that I wasn't expecting and uh, and a little bit of a detriment to, to training barefoot. But um, yeah, before we dive into uh, how you and, and Coach B came together and how you guys know each other, um, Kev, would love to hear a little bit about you know your early childhood. Um, obviously, sports and and I kind of see it in your day to day life with uh, with you and your kids now too, and how dedicated they are you know, or how dedicated uh, sports are to their life and, and their development. Um, were you always an athlete? Did you grow up playing sports? And, uh, and what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was always exposed to sports and we were always playing sports. I, I would hesitate to call myself an athlete. I don't know if the people <laughs> that watched me play sports back then would agree with that uh, characterization. But no, I, I think, uh, at least for me growing up, soccer was kind of a rite of passage. Everybody I knew was in a youth soccer league. So I think I started that when I was five or six years old and, and, uh, played for a few years. I played baseball for a year, but, um, I, there were a couple of kids in the neighborhood that played street hockey and that was, you know, I think at seven years old, that was my older brother. And my first exposure to hockey was right. you know, a couple of kids down the road played street hockey. There were three brothers. I think one was my age, one was my brother's age. So we'd started to go out and play with them. And then shortly after that kind of coincided with, I, I went to a summer camp where you built into the camp, you had an option to go to a rink and do a learn to skate program for an hour every day. So I did that for a couple of years and it really just sparked a love for the game for my brother and I, and that was really all we did. You know, we kind of, uh, you know, I were probably the products of some of the downsides of early specialization, but um, you know, I, we both just fell in love with the game of hockey and we'd basically come home every day. We'd play, you know, kind of drop our bags and play street hockey until it was dinner time. And then, you know, after dinner would go pass pucks and shoot and stuff in our garage. And, um, you know, that was most of my childhood at that point was, uh, playing hockey either at the rink or out front of the house. Yeah. Kev, where was this? Uh, I grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour straight West of Philadelphia. The uh, so I have a client in in the street hockey world. I don't know if you these uh these sticks and and balls that you're using were they Milek by chance? Uh, they we certainly had some Milek stuff. Yeah, we <laughs> uh, I think pretty quickly moved on. We had the old. I don't even know if they make them anymore, but they the old pucks had like three wheels. Yeah, three yeah. balls. Sorry, inside of them, and those uh actually moved around on the the road by us pretty pretty well so we played with those quite a bit but we played so often that the the balls inside would wear down to wear down yeah uh, the edge anymore so that's we'd have to replace them every uh every few months but that's awesome sticks too we uh we upgraded as soon as we could into just using old ice hockey sticks that's incredible yeah i always uh when i hear people talk you know that they grew up playing street hockey i always got to ask because uh you know i've been fortunate enough to work with that brand for a few years now and um it's incredible the 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 impact that they had on the industry you know being like pretty much the the original street hockey ball that everybody kind of slapped around when they were a kid and um so you started off you had that exposure you had the camp exposure and then you you and your brothers were playing or you and your brother were playing competitive ice hockey growing up through the uh through the years we did. So I, I think I started my first real hockey team. I was, this, the age group was called squirts. So I think I was eight or nine. Um, when I played in a league, it was just an in-house league. I did that for a couple of years. So in the hockey world, I was, it was kind of a late start. You know, I, even growing up around here, like we brought our son to a, 
four on four cross ice kind of summer thing that he had some friends from school that were doing it. So he wanted to try it. And, um, you know, there's lots of kids at, at, so my son just turned six a couple of weeks ago. He has friends that have basically been playing almost year round for a couple of years already. So yeah, that's insane. From, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but for, so for me, like starting at eight, nine years old was late. Um, but yeah, we, we both, um, we both started around the same time. So he was even a little bit older than I was, but I, I think, you know, he played a couple of years, uh, in an in-house league and then ended up playing for an organization out of Wilmington. That was the same one that my older brother played for. And, um, that was where, you know, I, I had always loved the sport. I think that's where, you know, I, I started to really get exposed to some of the work that you can put in on the back end and how that can impact your game. So I played for a coach that had a really good reputation for running power skating clinics in kind of that Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland area. Um, you know, he also was a a big proponent of off ice training and the role that that could play in in your development. So, you know, when I was 13 or 14 um I had an opportunity to play he had coached my older brother prior to that but I had an opportunity to play for him and that was for me the you know I, I think I probably made more progress in my first half year playing for him than I had in the previous two years um just kind of navigating things on my own and it was really just a testament to putting some infrastructure in place on areas on and off the ice to focus on to really push your development so you're not just showing up and kind of going through the practice and then that's the right. end of it it's that sounds really like good coaching. To own some of the underlying skills and the physical capacities that allow you to to you know kind of take your game to the next level so um yeah so that that was really kind of the the time period for me that sparked my interest in development which has uh really carried me through the rest of my professional career as well. Okay. Yeah, no, go ahead, B. I was gonna say, like, I remember um our first interaction and and yeah, we've we've known each other, I'd say probably close to almost 18 years now, if you if you if you remember, but uh you were you you were starting your master's degree at the University of Amherst and and you kind of got connected with Chris Boyko at the time. And um I was at the College of the Holy Cross and I remember Boyko brought you down. And um, I was impressed with you on that day, and I continue to be impressed with the um, your level of commitment toward trying to raise the level of education and, um, you know, just bringing up training for ice hockey. Like, I think you've decided to create your own niche there that's been um, really well received, and I think you've been able to be a thought leader in our in our in our specific industry in terms of performance, but really hockey performance. Now, what were the things that, that kind of led you from, you know, when you were 13, 14 years old and you started to realize like that you benefited from this training and you benefited, benefited from improving your, your physical capacities to, you know, understanding this might be something that you want to have a career in. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, so around that same uh, time period, I, after my first year of playing for that coach, I basically spent the next two summers helping him run a lot of his uh, power skating clinics and camps in the off season. Um, over the summer, you know, I'd be going in every weekend to work out at our gym that was in that rink, which was, you know, at the time, like a 30 to 40 minute drive each way to get there. You know, we'd go, my parents would 
get home from work on a Friday night and drive me in to work out at the gym in Wilmington and then drive all the way back. And, you know, I, so I, I was helping out with off ice and on ice work for, you know, I, two full seasons and then throughout the summers full-time as well. And I, it was really that be that I knew at that point that I wanted to pursue a career helping hockey players develop. And what I was less clear on at the time is, do I want to do this on the ice or off the ice? Mm -hmm. Do I want to, you know, kind of pursue a coaching uh, position or coaching role um, or more of a skill development role, which uh, would be good you know, I think you'd get a good laugh out of that if you watch me skate now, but um, there was a time when I could hold my own out there. Um, or if I wanted to go more of the, you know, kind of the off ice development route. And, um, you know, it was actually probably right around the time that you and I first met that I had an opportunity after my first year at grad school to go back to Delaware, where I did my undergrad and to to run clinics and camps all summer long. And, you know, I had connected with, you uh, with a close friend of mine that was a hockey director at a rink locally and had some things set up uh, to do that that summer. And, you know, the, the more I was thinking about what I really wanted to do with my career, I was starting to lean more towards the off ice preparation side of things. And it was actually Boyko, uh, Chris, mm -hmm. that had connected me with Eric Cressy. And I had asked Eric if there was an opportunity to do an internship that summer. And this was you know, early on in Cressy performance, yeah. this was, you know, maybe oh, five Oh six. Uh, it was later than that, okay. um, but they had just moved to their, actually, when I first visited him, they were still in their original facility in Hudson, um, which now I think they, you know, they moved to the new place and I think they've kind of relocated within that building and expanded three times since then. Um, but Eric, uh, you know, had an inter a new internship program and I applied for that and I got in. So instead of going to Delaware and running clinics and camps all summer long, I moved to Worcester, Massachusetts. I interned with Eric and then I paid out of pocket to take a functional anatomy class that was part of Boston University GPT program. And that was really the fork in the road for me professionally that, you know, I, I was clearly moving away from an on-ice emphasis whether that's coaching or skill development or whatever the path was in more towards um the off-ice side of things and um you know i i obviously have a, a lot to to eric for giving me that opportunity we you know i just saw him a couple weeks ago we still keep in touch but he uh he's on a, a long list of people that have had a profound impact on my career but um that was kind of it i've, I've always known that i wanted to pursue a career in hockey but um, that was really the the decision that led me down this path. That's pretty cool. Now we uh, you've listened to a lot of the podcasts, and we're and recently we've started to interview um, you know some some people, and we we always ask about mentors because we we recognize that we're never going to be in the position positions that we are in right now without mentors and without coaches and without a support system around us. And you mentioned Eric being a mentor. Um, it, and fortunately, we've known each other for a long time. Like we we've got a lot of close colleagues and friends. Like. Who do you consider to be mentors in your life uh, personally, as well as professionally? And what do you think the biggest things that, that, that they did for you and they taught you? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I mentioned Eric, obviously he did a lot, you know, my, the first seven years of my professional career, I was working in a private sector facility. A lot of the way that we developed our business model and our, uh, you know, small group training infrastructure was based around some of the things that I learned while interning at his facility. And, 
Um, you know, he's been a, a tremendous resource uh, in, in a similar context, I think, to the next guy I'm going to name, which is Mike Boyle, who, you know, I, I think what, what both of them did for me at a young age was highlighted the importance and incredible impact that continuing to develop your own education can have on your career. And for Mike specifically, I, you know, I, Mike's been in the strength and conditioning industry for longer than I've been alive. Right. So yep. um, just a wealth of, of experience and knowledge. And, you know, I'm sure he would say he's made a lot of mistakes over the course of his career and, and he's better off now for having learned from those. And we're all better off from him sharing Agreed. some of those things that, um, that he's learned from across the years, but, you know, to have somebody with his platform, to then say like, it's okay to change your mind. You need to keep learning. You need to keep pushing your own development. That's the only way you're going to get better. That really had a major impact on me. Uh, and I, I first came across Mike because I did an internship at the end of my senior year at Delaware. And with, uh, I did two actually, but one was with the head strength coach at the university. And he had Mike's original functional strength coach one DVD yep, DVD. Set. So oh <laughs> I borrowed it and I watched it with the, uh, the guy that I was doing my other internship with. And, um, you know, it, it, it was in that, that he talks a lot about that process, about the, um, the continuous education side of things. And at the end of it, I think it was his last slide. He had a, a list of recommended reading books. And literally, as soon as I watched it, I went home and I bought all of the books that were on that list and I read them all immediately and you know some of the things like you know Shirley Sarman's book was on yeah. that I think Stu McGill's uh, low back disorders was on that um Stephen Covey seven habits of highly effective people I think was on that uh Brian Tracy's million dollar habits like so many things that have been foundational not just in my training philosophy but really in in how I have tried to uh, establish some standards to hold myself to and, and some of the habits that I want to build my life around. So um, he's obviously another, uh, he's had a major impact. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, I I'd spent some time working with the women's Olympic hockey program with USA hockey. That was because Mike, uh, you know, afforded me that opportunity. And then, you know, obviously my opportunities in the NHL have come with his blessing as well. So, um, you know, I, uh, I've benefited a lot from my relationship with Mike and, you know, Mike Potenza obviously is another one. He known Mike for 15 years, probably at this point, he, um, has been a great friend and mentor to me throughout that entire time. But I spent two years working with him in San Jose and, um, that was a, you know, great career accelerator. I would say, you know, Mike was, very conscious about pulling me into situations that I think a lot of assistants probably would not be involved with because he knew that my professional development would benefit from the exposure. So um, that was great. And then, you know, on the personal side of things, like I, I think I learned a lot from, from my older brother growing up, you know, he was, he was one of the people that he just had like a sick work ethic, you know, you would just <laughs> come home and like, it just never stopped for him. He was just constantly competing with himself and trying to get better. And, 
you know, I was the the second best athlete in my house out of two people. So I've, you know, I've, always, <laughs> I've uh, g- grown up with a tremendous sense of humility and knowing that, uh, you, you know, no matter how good I feel about myself, I still have uh, have some work to do. And, um, you know, he wasn't shy about reminding me of that either in those years. So, you know, I've just kind of learned to learn to embrace the journey and the work that goes along with it. But that was really something that I pulled from him just growing up and sharing the uh sharing the garage in the driveway and you know we had a little gym next to our water heater and boiler and everything in our basement that we spent a lot of time together in too so it's funny you mentioned oh gabby sorry drew i just want about mike boyle like uh i don't know drew if you know this at all either but mike was a huge mentor of mine and i interned for him in 2001 and with mike Patenz actually like we were we kind of worked together back in 01 together but um talking about functional strength coach one is something I wanted to share. That was the moment that I, I would think I was like 25, 24, 25 years old. And I thought I knew everything. Like I thought, like I had a website, I was selling stuff and, and perform better, like had products. I thought I knew everything. And then I went, we got invited to go to functional strength coach one. And Mike is spitting knowledge about like Shirley Sarman, about Thomas Myers, about Stu McGill. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And that was, and Mike was probably in his late forties at that time. And that's when I was like, man, this guy has worked with all levels of athletes, had a tremendous success. And I'm like, if this guy is constantly pushing the envelope to try to get better, like who the hell do I think I am? So it was, it's funny that you mentioned the same thing because it's, it's, I think it truly resonates with any kind of young professional is like, you don't have all the answers. You can always get better. And the fact that, you know, you are where you are, that you constantly try to push that envelope. It's, 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 it's nice to be able to hear that. And I think everybody that's listening should be able to recognize that too, is we don't all, we don't have the answers. Like, you know, all three of us are up here talking right now and we are always in the constant pursuit of expanding our networks, expanding our knowledge, expanding our ability to grow so we can truly impact everybody around us too. So that's just something I want to share is that that same moment that you had watched on DVD, I had that same moment in person. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm laughing now because that was a, you know, whatever it was like an eight DVD set. And <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, the overwhelming majority of the people listening to this may not have a DVD player. So we might have to talk to them. It had such a big impact on us. We might have to talk to Mike about just going straight digital with it. So. He probably has got it streaming somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's funny you bring it up because like I wanted to follow up on, on Mike Boyles. Well, obviously that's a huge name in the industry and something that you know even before I was really starting to connect with you guys, I, I would hear the name all the time. So obviously there's a there's a massive amount of impact that that guy has in in the sports world and specifically hockey. Um, I love the the idea of you guys bring up this DVD right because it's it's almost just like and something that I think about all the time is like you can gain mentorship indirectly from somebody right and he wanted to build this this scalability to his impact so he, he put it into a product that could be that could be shared and um when did you actually meet him right so kev did you, was your first touch point watching that content kind of understanding that this is high level it's starting to change your life and then you had an opportunity to meet him how did you meet him um i watched that dvd bought all the books that he recommended all the resources you know that right. thomas myers uh, anatomy trains was definitely another one that was on that list you know i think the fact that i can remember at least five of the resources <laughs> it's pretty good all these years later is is a uh, maybe testament to the impact that they've had definitely i bet, career, but, I bet how um, to win friends influence people was on there too 
it, it that's one that drew and i talk about all the time yeah yeah dale carnegie stephen covey those are two that i think are man 50 years from now they'll still be you know pretty present and top of mind for a lot of people that are looking to to grow and develop but uh, sorry kevin didn't mean to cut you off so, yeah so, no, so i uh i wrote him a letter actually afterwards to just say thank you you know i kind of yeah. had the the awareness at the time to know that um, the resources were huge eye openers for me. I already felt like they kind of put me in a position uh, to continue not only my own personal development, but also professionally just being really young in the field, knowing that I, I felt like I had a leg up as a result of going through those resources that he recommended. And then obviously through his DVD as well. So I just sent him a note to to thank him for that. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember when he and I actually first met for the first time, but it was a year or so after that, when I came up to UMass for grad school, I think I went to a uh, a seminar at his facility or, or swung by to, to shadow one day. But, um, you know, I, I had not met him at that point. And um, it was a year or so afterwards until we connected in person for the first time. That's incredible. A, a handwritten letter, not an email. It might have been typed. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I wanted him to be able to read it. So I was pretty sure that, yeah, I'm pretty sure I sent it. That's awesome. No, I love it. Talking about DVDs and, and letters. I think it's uh, it's definitely a change of pace for for how people are meeting and, and meeting and getting together with mentors and from today's world. But um, Kevin, I want to kind of, sh- you know, shift gears a little bit. Uh, you know, I told B like, let's not beat him up too bad for, for this next question, but, you know, obviously, you know, B's had an incredible season, you know, with you guys this year, I think there's a lot to take away from it, you know, getting away from just, of course, you know, being coming up short a little bit, we, we told ourselves, we're not going to to step on your head. But, um, you know, the way that I view this is you guys came out of the gates and you guys had massive success and, um, to do that in the you know greatest league in the, in the world, it's, it's tough to do. It's tough to maintain that. And you guys have really like maintained a super strong presence, you know, across all, in my opinion, across, you know, all the factors of, of what it means to be successful in that league for pretty much the whole season until, you know, postseason. So let's just skip over that part. Let's just talk about, you know, what did we learn from this year? What did you personally learn from working with that group and, and really maintaining success long-term over the course of a season, which is a, a really grueling season? Um, you know, anything stand out to you from this year specifically? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things, you know, one where uh, we've we benefited a lot this past year from having a roster that, you know, I think in 30 years, we'll have a half dozen Hall of Famers on it. So, right. um, you know, you can't overlook the fact that we just had a tremendous group of talented players um, on the roster. So, you know, I, as part of that group as well, we have, uh, you know, what I have to think of as the best leadership group in the league. And I would certainly put our 100%. group amongst any in professional sports and our culture drew from the moment that I walked through the door, it was apparent to me that, that the blue collar work ethic and the desire to want to work, to improve that was built in to the room already. And, you know, some of that, I think, you know, Chara's history and in, in the organization right. of the league has become folklore at this point. I think a lot of people, even outside of hockey, are familiar with the impact that he's had. And um, Patrice Bergeron's certainly cut from that same cloth. And Brad Marchand's, you know, I, 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 without knowing every player in the league, I feel comfortable saying he's the hardest working player in the league. You know, he's a guy that shows up to work every day, like he's trying to make the team. Um, 
which says something for a guy that's had the success that he has and mm-hmm. just continuing to try to push himself to reach the next step for him. You know, I, that those things, the professionalism of the group there is contagious. And I think, you know, there's a strong sense of we're all in this together. And because of that, we all need to be pulling in the, we all need to be pulling the rope in the same direction and everybody needs to be working because, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be nights where, you know, a couple guys have good nights and some guys have bad nights and maybe guys you typically can rely on are just a little bit off their game that day. And for the team to have success, everybody else has to to pick up and keep, uh, keep things moving in the right direction. So, you know, I, I think that sense of, of true sense of team um, has been strong in my time in Boston. And and this year was certainly no exception. I think we had a, just a great group of guys and players and, you know, as a, as a staff, you know, we, as a, from the coaching staff to the medical staff, to, to our work in the performance department, I, I think it's really helpful to have everybody communicated on the same page and everybody pulling in the same direction in that regard too. So there's no, communication gaps there's no conflicts of interest and you know this year is the best year that I can remember working in sport where the lines of communication were wide open they were you know free-flowing in both directions meaning it wasn't you know just one person saying we have to do this there was a lot of questions being asked across the departments and I think that ultimately everybody had the players and teams best interest in mind um that's awesome it showed you know i think this was one of the most fun years that i've had personally where it felt like everybody um everybody was really working together in a special way and um you know obviously that's something that you aspire for every season and you know some seasons it uh unfolds better than others it's you know, the other thing is that winning hides a lot too. So, you know, we definitely <laughs> hit some stretches where I don't think we were playing our best. I don't know that uh, you'd find any disagreement from the players or coaching staff there, but we were still winning games. And that kind of allows the sense of optimism and, you know, the reinforcement that we're doing things in in the right way, or at least in a direction that's going to continue to move towards uh, progressing the team in a positive direction. I, I think that, uh, that kind of kept us on track, obviously. But, um, you know, as far as the playoffs are concerned, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's there's always, a, you know, you can, you even when you win a lot of games, which obviously we uh, were fortunate to have a lot of success during the regular season this year, we weren't always the better team in those games. And sometimes you come out with a positive outcome, even though you weren't, yeah, necessarily the better team during the game. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that I really appreciated about our group is nobody really, I don't think took it for granted. Nobody thought because we had the regular season that we would, that we could just step into the playoffs and just show up and win the games. But the reality is that, you know, you can do a lot of things the right way. You can have the right mentality. You can have a group of players that are healthy and are ready to compete. And the other guys get paid to play too. You know, you need to, the playoffs are the start of a new season. You need to generate, you need to build and generate your own momentum, really starting from scratch from that point on. And, you know, I think we, you can kind of look back across that series. And there were a couple moments where, 
you know, there's a big save as time expires to prevent us from winning a series clinching game early on. There's a couple moments in overtime where, you know, we, we could have buried a chance and moved on. And, you know, I think getting out of that first round gives you a lot of momentum then to, to keep rolling. And unfortunately this year, we just weren't able to, to do it, but um, you know, it's hard to look back and say like, Oh, we, I don't know if we would change anything, but, you know, I, I think obviously from there, everybody, I think, and this is another just part of the way that our departments and organization is, is built. I think everybody is reflecting back and thinking, is there anything that we could have done differently, done a little bit better if we're in the same situation next time, what could we do? But, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of how everybody worked together to reach that point. So um, you know, obviously not the outcome that we were hoping for, but uh, hopefully a learning experience and something we can build on in the future. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. And I think uh, I just remember, you know, throughout the course of the season, I just remember, you know, seeing scores, seeing standings <laughs> and just like texting B or texting the group, be like, man, Kevin must be so happy right now. Just like the, 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 the authority that you guys were this year. Um, something that you brought up that I think is really interesting. Something that B talks about all the time is the culture. And, um, you know, you kind of alluded to, uh, team leadership, some of that stuff, you know, you kind of walked into, right. Some of these players have had experiences, other mentors that allow them to, uh, understand at a high level, what's going to motivate themselves and the team around them. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you came to the team, um, when it comes to culture, is there something that you feel like you did have control on? Is there something that you felt like you changed, uh, something that's significant to you and your experience that has made a positive impact on the team? Um, you know, I, I think they're the, the mentality of, wanting to get better and of uh, of supporting each other as teammates. I think that that was really strong when I got there. I think one of the things that I remember Mike Potenza talked to me about in San Jose was just how he has got, cause he was there for 10 years before I got there. So he's had players, you know, come from other organizations and then spend time with him or, you know, spend a couple of years with him and go to other organizations and, one of the things he had said to me then that stuck with me is just treating everybody the same in the sense of, you know, when you're your uh, top forward line or top defensive pair or starting goalie, when they walk in the room, it shouldn't be like, all right, now you're running out of your office to cater to them. But when the third and fourth line guys are there, you just ignore them and let them do whatever they want. Right. I think there's, you know, that was something that's really stuck with me and, and, I would probably bias in that direction anyway, had Mike said nothing. You know, I think anybody that's been around team sport long enough knows that you really need everybody. Yeah. And on any given game, it could be a guy that, you know, maybe hasn't been in the lineup for weeks or months, and then he could step in and he might have the game winning goal or block a shot at a key moment or have a big hit that changes the momentum of the game. And, if that player is not ready and doesn't feel a part of the group, then, you, you know, it's not doing that player or the team uh, a service by treating them that way. So, you know, I, I think that as far as the impact I've had on the culture, I, I don't know that that's for me to say, but I, I think the approach that we've taken is to really make our room a space that we want players to feel like they want to be in. And to make sure that we're giving everybody the same level of service, meaning we're really being proactive and trying to identify the specific needs of that player 
and they're going to be different depending on the role and, you know, their ice time and their training background and the stage of their career and a bunch of other factors, but to try to, to try to help that player to the best of our ability and to make sure that, you know, that our room is a room that people want to be in. And we've, you know, we've had some feedback from players that, uh, that we've been successful in that regard. That That's awesome. People really enjoy, you know, the time that they spend in our room and players that, maybe are hitting a, a personal rough patch still feel like, you know, they're not only willing, but they feel like they want to come in and do some extra work with us and that that benefits them on the back end. So, um, you know, that's certainly something that we have prioritized and, and will continue to moving forward. And I think that, you know, the thing about culture, and this is something that I've kind of learned from my own experience and, and listening to, you know, especially, you know, B talks about all the time, but um, other great mentors, Lee Elias is another great mentor of mine that when it comes to uh, team bonding, team building. And uh, it, it's not like you just walked into something and it was like, a, it's done, like the culture has been built. And yeah, it's something that, you know, whether you're there other coaches, it's something that continuously changes, right. And something that continually needs to be nurtured. It's not like uh, it's kind of similar to our evolution of, personal development. You know, it's not like we've, we've achieved a certain level where now we're good. And now we just have to just, you know, quickly maintain this, but it, it truly does need that reflection, you know, aspect that you're talking about after the season and to continue to be nurtured. Um, so uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, we'll kind of end up Kev, with, uh, with a few thoughts, you know, I know that uh, you have young athletes. Um, I know you do a lot of work, you know, for, whether parents appreciate it or not, that's a whole different story, but you're, you're yeah. making the resources available for people that want to, um, you know, have a general understanding of, of what should be a priority, um, general advice, general foundational items for, you know, how one should think about development for, you know, the sport of ice hockey. But I think these are, these are things that are applicable to all sports and, and um, you know, many different industries, but, you know, is there one thing that you've learned from both being a coach, both being a, a trainer, a, a, you know, working at the highest level of hockey, but also maybe your own experience of now having, you know, a kid entering this, the sports world um, in terms of like general advice that you would give for parents? Um, just maybe like there's just a couple of things that stand out to you as something that's really significant um, that maybe is just a perspective that parents can kind of pull from this episode. Yeah, I feel like uh, I should probably wait 30 years before I'm handing out parenting <laughs> advice. Um, you know, as as far as the athlete development and uh, in the in the health uh, side of things and, and reinforcing some habits there, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one, and this will probably be the uh, the hardest one to implement, but, you know, what you feed your kids matters a lot. Right. Um, you know, that I think general principles, like trying to construct as much of your, your own diet and your kid's diet from real foods. So foods that could be hunted, grown, um, you know, foraged, whatever, but th things that are, they grow in nature, they live in nature. If, if the bulk of your diet's coming from those sources, you know, all, all the other things that people argue about, I think, uh, take a backseat to just making sure that kids are eating real food. Um, I can tell you, you know, I have had my kids take a bowl of dinner and just dump it right on the floor and say they're not going to do it. We fought some serious battles with that in our house, but I think it's important enough that we have to keep fighting that battle. There's, yeah, you know, profound effects on, you know, I think people think of diet and they just think of the impact it has on their body composition, not the impact yeah. that it has on their, their energy, their health, the uh, you know, the literal construction of the parts of their body, their, 
you know, blood vessels, their tendons, right. tissues, brain. all those things yeah. are brain. Yeah. All those things are built from the ingredients that you're providing the body through your diet. So um, that's a big one. Uh, I think from a, you know, a sports standpoint, you know, I, I can't overemphasize the importance of playing multiple sports for kids. And it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult, even for well-intentioned parents to navigate that because, you know, these sport, these youth sport teams are now not providing, but encouraging. And in some cases mandating year round participation in, you know, in their sports and their summer leagues and their off season development camps and clinics. And, um, that makes it really challenging for parents, but, you know, with the asterisks of do the best you can with the understanding that it is important and providing breaks from different sports throughout the annual cycle, uh, is important for, you know, kind of long-term joint health and, and durability, uh, standpoint, but more to the, you know, if you want to look at developing elite world-class athleticism, well, that been in one sport, you know, that benefits from playing multiple sports at younger ages. I think something that comes up a lot, uh, I think at all levels, but it's certainly our level is no exception is, is the kind of coachability and the adaptability of the athlete when, you know, maybe their roles changing or what's being asked of them changes, or, you know, they're facing adversity that um, maybe is novel for them based on their path. And the more coaching voices and philosophies and, uh, you know, the different roles that you play on different teams, which will change for different sports, you know, you might be the, the, you know, best player on your hockey team, but you might be a middle of the pack lacrosse player, or maybe you're, you know, kind of one of the, the lower end kids on your soccer team or baseball or whatever the case is having those experiences makes you more adaptable in the future. And there's a tremendous benefit to that, that frankly is, is a little bit, it's hard to measure. So people overlook it, but it's incredibly important. Um, and so I, you know, I think that that's, that's an important thing to just reinforce to parents that playing multiple sports has tremendous benefits, even if your goal is to, even if the kid's goal, most importantly is to succeed in one specific sport. And they know that at a young age, playing multiple sports while they're young and growing uh, is going to help them reach that goal too. And then the last thing that I would say is that in, and this is, it's uh, you know, again, I, my son's six, so I'm on the very early stages of having to go through this personally, but, you know, I, I think the more parents can just reinforce that they're that they love watching their kids play and that they're there to support them mm. and they're not there to criticize they're not there to coach them on the car rides to and from the sport um they're just there to support them and you know i would say if if you're a parent that like finds yourself screaming at your kid to skate harder or, you know is shouting coaching tips from the sidelines like y- you you may provide your son or daughter the best support by not staying to watch by just dropping them off leaving because the negative consequences of them having to deal with navigating that voice in those situations could very well force them out of sport and I think that's one of the biggest concerns that 
um, than certainly I have. And I think one of the biggest epidemics in youth sports right now is that basically when kids turn 14 years old, they quit. Yeah. And they're done. You know, there's there's no sense of continuing to participate for the enjoyment of it. There's no sense of um, you know, the, just the that this is a lifelong source of of fun and camaraderie with teammates. And it doesn't matter if you're on the, you know, U18 tier one elite league youth hockey team, you're, you're playing because you enjoy the sport and it's a fun thing to do with your friends. And we've created this situation now where if you don't have aspirations and pursue this path of competing at the division one or professional level that the, the system really does not continue to encourage your ongoing participation. And, you know, I think parents and and their competitive nature, and, you know, maybe even with the best of intentions, trying to pull out the best of their kids contributes to that. It's certainly not the only, uh, it's not the only cause of why kids are dropping out of sports, but there have been surveys done on why kids drop out of sports and, you know, not having fun and uh, parental involvement are two of the top things that come up in those. So um, I think that that's really important, not just because we're potentially depriving a lot of kids of a lot of opportunities to continue to have fun in sport, but then we're also looking at a a massive obesity and health Mm. epidemic across our country. And we're having people that are, are, deleting sources of physical activity from their routines as a result of dropping out of sports. So, you know, I, I uh, certainly don't want to imply that I'm putting that all on parent shoulders, but, you know, I do think that there should be a lot of inspiration for keeping kids involved with sport. And I think focusing on the fostering this sense of, of enjoyment and, and fun, especially early on, but really continuously throughout their, you know, middle school and high school years will play a significant role in keeping them involved with the sport moving forward. There's uh there's so many good things that you just shared uh, there, Kevin. And I think that um honestly, like I'm glad we threw this question in the mix because I think the value of the podcast really came from these last two or last couple of shares that you had, because I think those are so significant. And I've I've heard at length, you know, people talk, you know, professional athletes. We had Devon Taves on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He had a you know similar message to share about multiple sports. But I think the way the perspective that you just brought to the table, I think is one that I haven't really like leaned too much into, but I think it really is the most significant factor is, is that of putting yourself in a position to train and develop the coachability and, and adaptability factor of being an athlete. Um, you know, we typically hear you're training different muscles. You're, you're giving yeah. yourself a little bit of a relax, or I've even heard a really good one where it's, you know, you get away from the rink as, you know, ice hockey is one of those ones you can easily play year round between spring hockey, uh, get into some summer tournaments and things like that and go, you're right back in the season because the off season is only what two to three months. And one that I heard a couple of years ago that really stuck with me from a mental perspective is let's get away from the rink and get away from playing so that you can miss the game enough to come back and, and have passion for it again, which I think there certainly is some truth to that. And it, it definitely rang true with me, but I think what you're talking about in terms of, you know, being an incredible ice hockey athlete and then putting yourself in an uncomfortable position to be coached, you know, it's kind of similar to, 
B, we talk about this, like you got to go learn a new skill or you got to go mm-hmm. try a different sport, you know, even at, a, at an older age to kind of put yourself through this ringer and, and put your brain through some, so a little bit of stress to, to learn something new and, and how good that is for you. Um, but not just from the, the muscle perspective or what it's doing for you and, and maybe something that you're not training a ton, but it's this mental perspective of like kind of being shitty at something and learning how to get better at something. Right. It's kind of like you get that it's ability to fail. Then, yeah, you're right, going right. to fail. It's a bit learning that learning that ability to say that you're not good at everything. And it actually teaches you so much more about right. life and teaches you how to be able to overcome those challenges and kind of kind of mentioned about like adversity. Like if, if the first time you had adversity when you sign in sign an NHL contract and you're not on the power play, that's your first sign of adversity. Like right. sometimes kids can't cope with that and they right. because they haven't developed that ability early on or they've always been told they've been the best at things. Uh, I, you know, Kev hit so many nuggets on, on youth sports and I'm in it right now. And I know we do have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast as well, too. So, um, I suggest every parent re-listen to that last little bit of segment because there's so many nuggets in there. Um, and it allows you to self-reflect too. Like, how are you, you know, parenting and how are you supporting your child in the sports that they play? Um, because it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about you as the parent. It's about them and the experiences that you're being able to give your children so that they can help create fulfillment in their life, but also experiences and life lessons that are going to support them for the rest of their, their, their lives. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I'm in it at a different stage and Kev is right now, but like, I, I, it's, 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 it's hard to watch other parents. Sometimes it's really well, difficult to watch and experience and be around it because it, it, they do, they make it about the, about themselves instead of about the kids. And I can see that some of the kids have this immense amount of pressure being put on them and these teams being created about winning and losing. Like, you know, we're in travel baseball and I know we have a lot of baseball people in the community. There's not enough good players to have as many travel teams as there are. And what, as a result, it does is it kills town sports. Like town sports are dying. Like kid, like recreation, uh, rec leagues and house leagues are, are, are dying right in front of our eyes and, and nobody wants to coach the kids. And yeah, maybe they don't be as talented kids, but you're, you're helping those kids develop this lifelong passion of, of, of exercise or learning how to become a good teammate and learning leadership skills. And there's so many other things that go outside of, of trying to get a college scholarship or trying to be a pro athlete. Like that's, that's those opportunities are far and few but the opportunities to be able to grow and develop as a human being and learn how to be on a team and learn how to, how to be healthy. Like that, that transcends those college scholarships and those, and those pro contracts, because there's aren't, there's not enough of those to go around. And that's why I think I love to share the most is because I'm trying to think like, even my own experience from like age, like 13 to like 17, 18, um, you know, playing competitive ice hockey, the only source I think of true adversity I was receiving was putting myself in a situation where I'm playing better competition. Uh, you know, you know, a certain skill level, you're there to make a, a high level team. Uh, you surround yourself with good players and then, you know, potentially going off and playing like the little flyers where I'm playing against like Johnny Goudreau and I'm playing against like the best players in the world on the East coast. And that's what, that was adversity for me. But, you know, another source of adversity for me during those years, that wasn't just ice hockey related was getting, picking up lacrosse stick and playing, you know, high school lacrosse. And uh, I just remember, like, it really was putting myself back to that ringer of there was a summer where my brother had been playing for a few years, incredible lacrosse, um, holds a ton of like, you know, goal records. And uh, he was awesome. And I just never picked it up until I was a junior in high school. 
And I just remember like picking it up one summer, somehow making the varsity team and just going through, it was almost just like going through that same evolution of um, men spending hours on wall ball, you know, instead of shooting on a net, now I'm playing hours of wall ball to make sure I can throw lefty and throw righty you know, at the same pace. And, um, but what I loved about it is that share Kev is, is it was like less emphasis on these outside factors of like trying to put your kid against the best competition. Like that's an outside factor versus playing a different position, playing a different sport where the focus is, can you be coachable? Like, can you have somebody come in and mentor you and for you to take that, reflect on it and get better. And to me, that puts emphasis more so on the internal factors that, you know, the, the kid or that your family can control. Um, so that's what really stood out to me. But um, we have a, a little segment, Kev, where we throw one last thing at you before we hop off. It's, you know, is there a certain quote? Is there a certain something that you've heard recently that really stood out to you, resonated with you? Or is there something lifelong that, you know, has always kind of you kept with you that uh, is significant? Um, so I, I uh, a few days ago, started a, a new book called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. I, I never had. And it was recommended to me. Uh, by a friend on uh, out in Arizona, and um, I I have jotted down as many quotes from that as I possibly can. But I'm I'm sure I've missed a ton of really good ones because I'm having a hard time keeping up. But one of the better resources on on the mentality of of what it takes to be excellent at your craft that I've ever come mm. across. And um, I I wrote down a couple here that I have that. You know, he says, uh, if you're striving for excellence, there's no such thing as over preparation. So that's one that jumped out to me. Another one, which kind of fits the theme of some of the things we talked about early success is a terrible teacher, mm. you know, so exposing people to adversity and, yep. and not protecting them from that, um, is important. Uh, you know, he has one on, on being a good teammate by asking yourself the question, how can I help us get where we need to go and using that to frame some of your mm. behaviors around the group. And then another one that I, uh, that I appreciated was an astronaut that doesn't sweat the small stuff is a dead astronaut. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think just in that uh, line of work, uh, Details. Especially, but I think there's obviously parallels to, uh, maybe less life-threatening, um, uh, it, you know, and opportunities to participate in sport or yeah. uh, in the workforce that, you know, being detail oriented really is important and makes the difference in your, uh, in your path. So yeah, just, from, just, just from couple, those, like I said, I got a bunch, but that yeah, uh, those are awesome. Cool. Those are awesome. I think honestly, and coach B, you probably feel the same way just from hearing some of those quotes. Uh, I think that book's definitely going to make it to our list of, uh, of, of our, recommended reading. Our list keeps getting bigger and bigger. It does. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good thing though. That early success one, Kev, I think that's a, that's a critical one. I mean, my mind jumps to so many different industries, yeah. businesses, sports teams, uh, my peewee team that didn't lose a game till December. And then we got absolutely crushed in playoffs. Like there's so many yeah. things that come to mind for me with that quote. I think it, it is powerful, right? And not that you want people to struggle, but when you can frame your mind, you know, for this experience to be such a teacher, uh, a mentor in itself to, to get you to where you need to be, 
Um, that's a huge one. I also love the question one too, I think is, is incredible. I'm drawing a blank on which book it might've been how to win friends and influence people. Um, but you know, in terms of how are we trying to draw change or how are we trying to, uh, maybe influence somebody, you know, how we approach it, you know, and versus demanding something and scolding somebody versus, um, getting to a place of just the approach of asking a question or, or like you, you framed it up, you know, how can we get here or, or trying to, um, I think the best way I can explain it is I remember a coach of mine, um, not a hockey coach, but just a, just a mentor of mine talking about, you have to know when to pull and when to push. Right. I think that uh, sometimes we, in today's world, we're doing a lot of pushing, like in terms of like trying to instill something into a kid versus trying to, to pull the information from them or to pull an understanding of, of how we can motivate them in the future. So uh, those are great quotes. Uh, B anything else that uh, you want to close up on for today? No, just um, I highly recommend anything that, that Kev shares on his socials and, yep. He's a, he's a great individual to follow, great person, but even a better uh, professional. And I still learn from Kev um, to this day. And so we were fortunate to be able to work on a, on a project recently together. And, um, you know, I'm glad that he could join us on this, on this podcast and share so many different, so many different nuggets um, that can impact anybody. Completely agree. This Again, I, I appreciate that. Be I, uh, you know, I think I mentioned early on that I have uh, been fortunate to have the opportunities to learn from you over the last, I guess, eighteen years. My math's a little off uh, <laughs> on the spot here, but um, I, I certainly continue to learn from you as well. And and uh, like I mentioned earlier, from from you too, and then the guests on this podcast as well. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, uh, really appreciate your time, Kevin. This has been incredible. Like you said, be so many gems. I mean, this is one that. I have a handful of people where I'm going to send this one to and just know that they're going to be able to drive a lot from here. So I appreciate you sharing and definitely, you know, we want to make sure you follow Kevin, lots of great content. Um, you guys, you know, you guys have works, you know, that you have, that you've done together. That's going to be published soon, I believe. And, um, yeah, I just want to say, thanks. This is a, uh, it's funny. Cause when I think about meta athletes, all the stuff we're doing together, I feel like I'm the one that's, that's truly, gain the most value from from pulling these uh these insights in so uh thanks everybody for listening appreciate you all and uh talk to everybody next week